0: The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission, who remains deeply committed to the work of justice for the oppressed. To find out more about the work of IJM or to follow them on social, head to IJM.org. Well, this is The New Activist, a show that features conversations with activists and leaders who are tackling some of the world's biggest humanitarian issues from the front lines of injustice. My name is Eddie Koffeltz, and it is a joy to be with you today as we welcome Dr. Lucretia Berry. Dr. Barry is an anti-racism curriculum specialist, a writer, and a speaker, and an author of the book, What Lies Between Us, a journal about fostering first steps towards racial healing. And we're going to talk about that today. She is also the founder of a great organization called Brownicity, which provides space to live in the tension of restoring one human family that has been fractured by the lies and injustices of racism. They are dedicated to advocacy, education, and the support for racial healing and anti-racism. And today, I not only appreciate the fact that we get to hear a bit of her story and talk about all the work that she does, but we also ended up having a conversation about how to talk to our kids about what is happening in the world. And she gave me some really good advice, and I'm really pleased that I get to pass that advice along to you. Before we begin, if you haven't done so yet, could you please rate and review The New Activist in whatever podcast player you are using? It is a great way for you to throw your support behind the show, and I appreciate it. I want as many people as possible to hear great wisdom, like we get today from our guest, Dr. Lucretia Berry. I wanted to ask first a bit about brownicity. Did I say that right? Rhymes with ethnicity. You said it that is right. Down.
1: That's right. Okay, good. Right. I love it.
0: And I, I'm just curious, like, why it mattered for you and your husband Nathan to create that space.
1: Oh my gosh. So both Nathan and I, we met doing anti-racism work. Actually, we met integrating a historically black church, which is a whole amazing story that oh. I'll tell some other time. But so we came into the marriage knowing that, of course, our children, our multi-ethnic children or, you know, biracial children would need a different set of tools to navigate our hyper-racialized society, different than the ones I had. You know, I grew up in North Carolina. And so, you know, my generation is the first generation to be fully integrated. My parents would have um, grown up during Jim Crow. So imagine the tools that they gave me to navigate our hyper-racialized society. And then my husband grew up in a small town, Iowa, predominantly white. So imagine, you know, the tools that maybe he did or did not get (laughs) to navigate society. So we had conversations before our children were born because, you know, we'd been in spaces with uh, multi-ethnic families and, you know, I kind of heard some conversations about, you know, how they would explain things to their kids and a lot of it was anecdotal, like, well, you know, mommy is chocolate and daddy is vanilla and you are chocolate and vanilla swirl. <laughs> and
0: I'm like, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, like that's not, I don't think that's going to do it. Like that, I'm not yeah. telling yeah, my yeah. child that.
0: <laughs> right, or, right.
1: you know, something where the child would have to maybe even choose a racial category as a fundamental source of identity. And we wanted our children to know the truth. Uh, that they have a mom and a dad like every human. They weren't mixed together like paint or ice cream and understand, you know, race as a construct um, that really has just been laid on top of us. Um, And and so it's more of a social identity um, or a social narrative. And it's not, you know, fundamentally who they are. There's so many other things that contribute to identity. So we wanted to make space for that for our children. um, We felt like it would Give them a leg up in terms of navigating and knowing who they are versus, you know, walking outside of our house and having people tell them who they are. And of course, yeah, you know, people have tried, but fortunately in our home, conversations around skin tone and race are just so common. And so when our oldest was four years old, um, she came home and she told us that at preschool, Montessori preschool, she had painted her portrait. And she had either learned or realized that um, we were all hues of brown, you know, so everybody is a hue of brown, she said. And she said, mommy, you're deep brown and daddy is light brown and I'm medium brown. And in that moment at the dinner table, we thought, Eureka, that's right. That's (laughs) it. It's such a simple framework for a child, right? And so then we explained to her about melanin and ancestry and yes, daddy's, ancestors came from a place further away from the equator. So they needed less melanin so they could absorb more of the sun's rays. And mommy's ancestors came from a place closer to the equator. So they needed more melanin to help protect against you know, too much sun exposure. So yes, you are medium brown. And so our children would use brown as the kind of essential uh, or the starting place in order to describe people. So they would say, well, my friend at school is brown like me, but looks like her ancestors may have been Asian. Or
0: mm-hmm. my friend at
1: school is brown like you, mommy, but has straight hair or something like that. Or my friend at school is, you know, brown like daddy, but has curly hair. So very specific. And that kind of caught on with our friends. <laughs> so that's where the brown comes from in our little little made up word, brownicity. And then the icity part comes from ethnicity and ethnicity means that which we have in common and so our tagline is we are many hues but one humanity or many hues one humanity so that gives us that space to talk about the complexities of identity the complexities of our you know of our phenotype and the construct of race and how it sorts and categorizes us
0: mm, i love how that conversation happened between you and and your children and what was born out of that and the context that that gives for them. And, and it really just speaks to the importance of, I mean, even how, as of recent, how like Crayola is creating yes. the, the crayons that are all basically hues of brown. What does that start to do to a child to kind of reset or maybe actually not reset, set right that framework for for seeing skin color in that way? How does that change your kids?
1: Right. Well they already have this constitution in place that decenters whiteness. And that's, you know, in our, you know, American society, you know, whiteness or white is the default. Um, Like currently where we live and where my children go to school, it's predominantly white. And it's been a different demographic depending on where we live. Like when we lived in the city closer to my family, then of course, you know, they were around family members who look like me. But where we are now, we happen to live in an area and attend a school that's predominantly white. You know, we can already have conversations about, you know, why and how the demographics have changed. Or, you know, like when when my daughter says, you know, my, my friends, and she means her white friends, you know, they say I'm the brownest person they know, um, which is hilarious because this particular daughter is the fairest skin she's the lightest skin right, you know? right, right, right like wow that's interesting that you are the brownest person that they know
0: yeah they know a lot of real yeah right that right. says a lot more about the kids saying it
1: and so but but see then i can say that so i i can you know give a little context well historically you know white people or people in the white racial category have you know in our country segregated themselves time and time again so statistically Um, your friends, your white friends would have only one friend of color. So guess what? You're it, you know, whereas, you know, people of color have, you know, eight, you know, friends on average who are different than them or, you know, that are people of color. So it again gives them, anchors them in the reality that the world is many hues of Brown. And so they don't, you know, have this sense of feeling marginalized. Or um, only being informed by a racial narrative, because that's not the only narrative in our lives. However, if we don't expose our children to other narratives, then yeah, they, you know, they think, well, it's just about being, you know, white or black, or you know, where do I fit in? And um, and I needed our children to understand that to not have that onus or the burden of trying to fit into a racial category exclusively. They can if they want, but you know they also have these other ways of being, or they know that there are more ways of being than just a racial category. So they don't have to feel marginalized, for example, if they are the only brown friend <laughs> that their white friends know.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I want to stay on the topic of kids for just one more question, because mm-hmm. we have a lot to get to, but you did... Do this gr- great TED talk.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Yes, ma'am. I, and it was funny because before I even knew you had agreed to be a guest on the show, which is a, <laughs> you know a big deal for us, and we deeply appreciate it. I had seen this TED talk, and I put it together when I started to do research. I was like, "Oh, I know her." And so, but you gave this great TED talk called "Children Will Light Up the World If We Don't Keep Them in the Dark," and uh, you talk about some of these great guide rails for how to a lot of what you were just talking about just sort of how to how to parent well right around this (laughs) topic really very very generally you did it you did a lot better and people should watch it but but a lot of parents who are listening to this show right now are asking themselves like in this time in this 2020 time how to both address racism and more pertinent to this very moment is the recent string of very high profile deaths so I know that this is a huge answer, but I'm curious what initial guide rails or advice you can give to parents for how and when to address this and and if there's like age appropriateness and just kind of really anything you can give us to help navigate it.
1: I think parents think that these topics are too hard for their children and so you know you essentially um, make the mistake of depriving your children or you know taking, their power away. And and so I'll say this. I I also have the honor of teaching a high school elective. So and I teach anti-racism like one-on-one to high school students in ninth through twelfth grade. Wow. And this is so amazing that yeah, these kids, you know, ninth graders will say when they learn, you know, the content, they are upset that they didn't already know it. You know, they feel lied to. They feel like, why weren't we told this? already why, why didn't I learn this in elementary school and see our kids can handle this, especially I'll just say they, they can handle the truth and they are resilient. Um, sometimes parents are afraid that you know it will cause their children pain or it will make them cry. And I say to that, yes, it will yes but that's what you want. like when we begin to teach our children about you know the history, the racist history in our country, and, you know, and you don't have to do it in this, like, daunting, scary way with, you know, baritone music playing in the background. Dum, dum, dum. I mean, you just teach yeah, it like yeah. any history topic. You just teach it like, you know, if you can teach colonization or civics, all those things, you can just teach it as content like that. And, for example, um, you know, when our five-year-old was about to go to kindergarten, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm not leaving it up to school to get this right. So, you know, we started reading books um, about, you know, like maybe characters that were enslaved, like children that were enslaved, you know, so my child could relate to that. And I remember one day she had a tantrum. She was so upset because she had put it together. Wait a minute. If it were not for um, now, this is her five year old, you know, six year old mind. She said, if it wasn't if it were not for um, Dr. Martin Luther King or the civil rights movement, I could not have been born. And, oh, and I said, you are right. And she knew that like legislating life in that way was wrong. And so she had a tantrum and I sat there and said, mm-hmm, that's right. Like, that's how you should feel about that. You know, or another friend, she's white. Her son saw her like doing, you know, taking my class, uh, the adult class and learning this content. And she was trying to hide it from him, but he saw it. He's a fast reader. He saw it too quickly and he burst out crying. Oh, and I man. said, but that's good. Like that means that they're human. Fairness is very important to children. And so you are allowing them to develop their empathy and develop their compassion and then develop their what's important to them about fairness, regarding fairness. And so what we have done in given children these like fairy tale versions of history, you know, then we desensitize them. If children go to school and learn, You know, that, okay, we just looted and took land from the natives. And that was okay because God said so. And then we went to this continent and brought browner bodies over and worked them for free labor. And they were happy. And so that was okay. So then when the child gets older and they have no empathy for, (laughs) you know, brown and black bodies, you know, dying in the streets or hanging from trees, it's because we have instituted that. I believe that you don't deprive your children. You tell them the truth. And again, it doesn't have to be all at, at once. You know, if they're learning their colors, red, yellow, black, they can also learn hues, skin hues. And I know parents think because they go, well, my child doesn't see color because they never talk about someone's skin color. Well, that's because you haven't given them the language. Oh, they see it. Because I go into classrooms at the school to the elementary classrooms and I get to read books and I give kids very positive language about their skin tones and very positive framework. And oh my goodness, it's like I open a Pandora's box and all of the questions that they've been holding inside <laughs> for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all come yeah, they out. They see it all. They see it, yeah. So I'd say, yeah, don't deprive your your child. And yes, there is an age appropriateness to it, but if parents, if you really get in and get this understanding yourself, then you can navigate like what your child needs.
0: I don't know what to do because all of that is really, really fraught with wisdom. I don't know what to do with some of the stuff that seems, well, I'll just say it and you might be telling me I'm wrong and I'm that's okay, but it seems <laughs> too, scary to, too scary to tell an eight-year-old that a man was jogging and got hunted, right? Like, right. or that a woman was in her house Like, I don't know how to be transparent about what's real and happening, but not terrify them. And I don't know how to water, not water it down, but I don't, I don't know a way to sanitize it. That's kid appropriate.
1: Right. Okay. So.
0: And thank you for answering this question.
1: Right. (laughs) No problem. Okay. No, I get that a lot. So at our house, the news is on and they are seeing that now, usually for kids, you know, they're not really tuned into the news. So mommy and daddy are talking about it to each other. So they get to eavesdrop, you know, at, at the dinner table or listen in and we are talking to each other about it. Yes, they get upset and then we have, we get to have a conversation about it. They can handle it. That's why it's important to start young and give them historical context. So, you know, at this point, my children, it's not shocking it's upsetting but again yes like we we want them to be upset about the things that <laughs> humans should be upset about now what we don't do now we're not the family that you know has the news playing 24/7 i mean we just we literally watch the whatever the 6:30 news you know yeah yeah and that's it <laughs> but yeah we we want them to know what's going on in the world so they when there was the um Run or jog for Ahmad Aubrey, like we did that together, you know, as a family. So yeah, parents can be the the in between. So because again, I'm telling you, the kids are not; they're not probably paying attention to the news. That's not their medium. But if you're commenting and talking about the news, they will get that. And and what I imagine that people are trying to figure out is like, okay, how do I even start it? Like, how do I even sit down and say like so this thing happened. And again, like I said, for us, it's a conversation between me and my husband. Or maybe if you are solo parenting or single parenting, then maybe it's a conversation between you and another adult and children get to be a part of it.
0: I think for me, as I'm hearing you say this, I'm like, it's hard to present something to my kids that I'm in the midst of being Like, scared about processing. And it's like, no, that's okay. It's okay. I I feel like you all are processing as a family, and I don't have to present to them my finished, cleaned up, Mm -hmm. here's my presentation of your history lesson for the day. It's like, here's where we are today on this middle of July day, you know?
1: Right. And if you like, if you need to cry or if you need to, you know, lament, or I think that's all healthy for children to see that, that gives them permission. Like, I, I have one of our children is a very passionate child. And so, yes, she just says all of the things. And we just sit there and listen to her and nod. Like, yes, yeah, what you're saying is right and valid and you can be upset. Sometimes she gets outraged, but that's real life. And she's allowed to do that. And we validate that and say, yes, you're right. That's something to be outraged about. What can we do? Like, what should we do, you know? So that's when you say, okay, let's sit down and write a letter. Or, you know, let's let's put this thing together or let's make this something we we do. I think a couple of weeks ago we bought a hundred copies of Beverly Tatum's book, Why Are the Black Kids Sitting Together in the cafeteria as a family? And then we donated it. We donated the books to our teaching staff, you know, but that was something we did together as a family because we are trying to support our teachers as they move forward in becoming, you know, anti-racism aware and, and active.
0: That's incredible that you all did that. And what of I mean, that will stick with a child like right. nothing else.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, that's amazing. That's pretty incredible. I want to ask a, a bit about the burden that you are shouldering because you wrote a bit about it. Uh, you wrote a great piece in, um, it was Encourage, I think. Encourage, yes. That, <laughs> yeah. And it was recent, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, last week.
0: Yeah, you told the story of this woman coming up to you. And I love the way you write. I enjoy reading your writing so much. Can you?
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yeah, yes, ma'am. Can you tell a little bit about the story of this lady coming up to you? Because it was (laughs) like, it was jarring for me as a reader. And I would not have liked that if I was you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, I was like minding my own business at the women's conference. And this was not on my radar because, again, like I have, kind of been doing this work, but not publicly, like in my family, having conversations with my husband, like this is, yeah, it's, that's different. Like raising your children and building your family is different than, you know, this now I'm responsible to the public type of thing. And so I'm at a conference and I'm, I'm focused on like my own personal issues, you know, that one does when you go to a women's conference. (laughs) Yeah. She, um, chased me down. I I said like like a blessing. She chased me down <laughs> and said, you know, here, um, while you were in the chapel praying, I saw this, or God gave me this message for you, but you left, you know, before I could get to you. So she did like chase me through this crowd of women. And I just remember, yeah, it was like we were thick trying to get from one session to the other. And she essentially said, God wants you to do something, you know, it's big. Do you know what it is? I'm like, no, I have no idea. You know, I'm just here. To work out my own issues, you know, and, and she's like, "Well, okay, just write. Do you write? Nope, don't write. I am just here to work out my own issues." You know? <laughs> yes, <laughs> please. She said, well, "If you journal and write, it's going to come to you. It'll come." And I'm like, "Okay, you know," and just kind of brush it off. Didn't even give it another thought at all.
0: that's bold. I mean, that's really. I mean, sorry to be too like myopic about this, but. Was it a weird moment? Or was it, or was it like prophetic? What What did you feel?
1: Yeah, it. I mean, because, okay. So I'm at a women's Christian conference. So someone, you know, having a, a prophet, making a prophetic statement wasn't that was totally within the realm of you know reality and possibility <laughs> right. and context. Like, okay. That. And the funny thing is, Eddie, like I, there are other stories where God sent a stranger to me to say. God wants you to do because <laughs> by this time. So yeah, I, I leave the conference and then I notice that. So I'm journaling because I do journal. So I'm journaling, but I'm noticing that I notice that. Wait a minute, certain things are bothering me that I just I'm accustomed to. Like why is this bothering me now? Like I'm just accustomed to the racism in America. You know the <laughs> overt and covert. Why am I agitated by it now? What do you, what's going on? And then that's when I realize. Oh my gosh, this is the thing that she was talking about and I said, "No, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the black woman who talks about racial healing and anti-racism. Just even doing the work more privately and locally in the past, I you know, I would be get ridiculed and chastised by church leaders. So I yeah, I'm like, "No, absolutely not. I don't want to do that." But, you know, God is very encouraging <laughs> or spirit right. is what I say and continues to press forward and continue to like through a prophetic means like that um, encourage me. So I was at an, another event. I didn't know a soul at this event, didn't know one person. And I go to the event. It was like a prayer or something and like pray for the city or something. So I go to this event and a woman comes up to me and she says, you know, can I talk to you? And she's like, God wants to use you for racial healing it's the very first time i had ever heard that term racial healing um like that exclusive term and i'm looking at her you know like oh yeah i know <laughs> cuz she's looking at me like aren't you excited about that you know and i was looking at her like oh here we go <laughs> you know and so she laid out a whole thing which she just confirmed what spirit had already been saying to me so she just said it out loud and then and so then i just have moved forward and, you know, and totally relying on and leaning on spirit. I don't do this out of my own, like, I didn't choose this, I should say. I think it chose me is what. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm good with it because I I do get to see, you know, people grow and that's beautiful. I get to witness that and I feel honored to um, see people um, be awakened, to the fullness of themselves and humanity. It's beautiful, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and so now, I mean, as you wrote in the piece, like, I realized that what she meant by big meant heavy, hard, cumbersome. And you said, I didn't wanna be the black woman burdened to address our nation's festering wound of racism. And so there is this burden. Like, like even if you feel very like called into it and this is your choice to take this step, I'm curious about the burden because even just, I mean, transparently booking people for this show, (laughs) I'm like, I'm not going to book anyone that doesn't already have a platform and the platform is like, hey, I'm willing to talk about this because everybody, I'm curious, like is getting hit up to just talk, teach, help, like what is the burden like that you end up experiencing in in the writing and the speaking that you do?
1: Here's some things I have experienced (laughs) along the way is... You know, I feel very fortunate to have been equipped, you know, like my background in education and, you know, I was able to take anti-racism education like courses and just really validated all that I had already observed in life. Um, but this topic, you know, and this construct of race and racism has so, I think, just discombobulated everybody that people don't know in a general sense or a collective sense, how to respect people who have this burden to do or to take on the burden to do the work, and so th- it's like a double burden because it's already a hard topic for people. It's already a hard thing to do, you know. So oftentimes, you know, connect with people who don't have an appreciation for how difficult the work is, and so you know they want to tell me how um, to do the work or they want to discredit it. More. Oh yeah. It's so painful, so that's a very lot. painful. And so I've had to put a lot of things in place for my own, you know, self-care and healing just from, you know, rejection and being discredited and discounted and, you know, being, called, I think I talk about that in the piece, like being called divisive and Marxist and leftist and yeah, I'm like, okay, are we, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Right, that's a lot. It's a lot. You know, I've been- Those are big I've words. I've been heckled yeah. from, a, you know, speaking at a church. And wow, was, really? Was heckled. Oh, yeah. It, it was a visitor. It wasn't like a person who attended the church, but it was a visitor. Yeah, but still.
0: Yeah. So it, that, it, yeah I don't and know it, why that makes it better. like Someone just decided they didn't agree with what you were saying and said something.
1: And yeah, and the interesting part is two things. It was a few months after the Charleston 9 massacre, and then I hadn't even gotten into- what my message was about. All I was doing at that point was saying, "Hey, this is happening in the news." Because I think at this point it was the refugees washing up on the shores, that type thing. Sadly, the Syrian refugees and something else. It was a few things that were happening um, all at once in the news, and and so I was kind of setting it up. I was kind of saying, "This is what's happening," and was going to talk about, you know, we don't have to feel helpless and hopeless because we can Do something about this, but before I could get to that part, I was yelled at, and um, it was that was traumatizing. So to this day, I still like if somebody is moving in a funny way in the audience, it catches me I'm like, Why are you moving like that?
0: Yeah, what's going on? No, that's <laughs> are you, right, what's
1: that? you got an itch. What's happening? What's wrong with you? No, that's right, that's
0: right. You're not supposed to be moving like that, right?
1: No, I'm not supposed to be moving like that. Now, let me tell you, I do, I think I was designed to be a teacher. And so I love, I do love teaching and I do love seeing people liberated through my teaching. So I think that's how I counter it uh, or that, not, I think, I know that is. And so there's the burden part and I do have to put things in place so that it isn't just a burden. Um, So that's why, again, like, you know, Brown City now has an online learning community. So you have to want to learn, you know, you can't just be bypassed. Let me just be this passive person on social media or Instagram that's just going to leave a comment. Like you have to kind of invest in learning and invest in our agency, you know, to and be a part of it. And so th- those things help me be able to uh, sew into or commit to people uh, or spend more time on people who actually want to learn versus people who just want to debate or vent.
0: Right. Or just good old fashioned trolling, right? Just no desire. Yeah. (laughs) Um, In our, in our last few moments, I want to talk a bit about in 2017, which I thought you released it recently, but it's, it's 2017. You released what lies between us, the journal, the what lies between us.
1: Yeah, actually I wrote that in 2016. Oh, yeah. But then updated it. So it like it gets updated every now and then. So
0: got it. Well, it's this it, the subtitle of it is fostering first steps towards racial healing. And it continues to be updated. And it's something that has always been needed, but somehow now seems in, in a way even more relevant. And I don't know how that's yes. possible, but it just right. seems to. So I'm curious with all that is happening in in the current 2020 with Black Lives Matter moving from a hashtag to something that is painted on major streets of every city in America, right? Like, there's a right. real, like, whatever's happening is is massive. It's happening, right? That's yes. right. I'm curious how the book and the study and the conversations in in Brownicity have become even more relevant. What that has been like for you? Yeah,
1: like I wrote the first study guide, I should say, or um, journal and journal guide. In uh, like I said, 2015, and I go back and and when I say I update it, it's like updated to look better or to maybe change like a word or two because like our website changed or something like that. So the fundamental content has been the same. And I was recently looking at it, like okay, maybe I need to update it again, like go back. No, like everything that I just say I wrote in you know 2015, 2016 is just still right on and needed, you know, to, to help people process today in 2020. I'm kind of amazed at that. Um, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just amazed at like, wow, like this is where we are still five years later. But That's
0: right. There's part of it that's just unfortunately timeless. And that's-
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to work towards being obsolete here. That's my goal. <laughs> that's like,
0: interesting. Christianity
1: yeah. will be obsolete in all the institutions of education, both church and schools, will have shifted and then we won't need, you know, an agency like ours anymore. So anyway, that's my hope. But, you know, when we started doing the, like these in-person classes, yeah, it was just, what is it called? Fits and starts. Like people just, okay, our, you know, our church wants to have this conversation or, okay, our, you know, community wants to have this conversation. And it would be oftentimes, And I want to say, like, it would be like women who are like these forward-thinking women who would say, "Okay, we need to let's do this now. Like, let's do this course now because I can see something coming. We we need this." And and I think what happened, of well, not I think I know with the 2016 election that spurred some people on, but it went from like a trickle, you know, a trickle here, like a course here and a course there, to an all-out like. You know, I feel very fortunate to already have had this in place because masses of people were ready to learn. It, it was no longer like a casual stroll. It was a sprint, you know. And, and I've heard people say, yes, it's a it's a marathon of sprints. And What Lies Between Us is designed to on-ramp people or onboard people. You know, I'm, I'm an educator, so it's scaffolding um, to go from, you know, you hear your ABCs and then by the time you get to the end you have a more sophisticated and nuanced understanding, perspective, analysis and approach. And so it's just it's a good tool for people who were ready to to say okay, I have done something versus okay, I'm going to read this book or read a book when I get around to reading a book. So it really gave people like a something to anchor to. Again, I get Lots of emails and private messages about how people's lives are being changed. Like this, you know, this course is changing my life. And essentially it's just giving people more dots. Like I I heard a speaker, Bob Johnson, say when you're a kid and you do those connect the dot pictures, you know, and so you do, you know, go from one dot one to dot two and you eventually draw this picture. He says, Well, was the picture already there? Yes, the picture was already there. You just needed the dots, right, to be able to draw the picture. So all we're doing is giving people more dots. So here are your dots so you can see this picture for yourself. People are, you know, empowered and changed and you can't unsee it, you know? You can't unsee it, you can't unknow it, you know? You can, of course, choose to <laughs> stay complicit and complacent in the status quo, but definitely people who really want to, Jump in and move forward. But, you know, we get the people who they want to, they have great hearts, but they go, I don't know where to start. And when you look at a list, and I think it's the best intention to give people a list of resources, like here you go, and people shut down, like that is a lot. That's so much. Like, I don't know where to start. So we're like, step number one, you know, start with what lies between us. Or um, because it has Bible references. I offer one for schools and corporations or companies called foundations. Same educational content, same scaffolding, it just without the Bible references. So you, you can start with foundations or you can start with what lies between us and that will give you your, you know, a great solid framework to build on. And then you can move from there. And so people are, are appreciating that approach or having that tool.
0: Yeah. And just for folks listening, we will, in the show notes, we will have links to all of this. So if you're pulling over in your car, well, nobody's in their car, but if you're trying to you know, Google search this right now, it's all right. We'll put it all in the show notes and it's all on the website. So it's all right there for you. Last thing I want to ask you, and I appreciate you spending so much time with us. I keep asking this question over and over again over the last two months and I keep getting different answers. And I think maybe because there is no answer, but I'm curious on your opinion on this. Are the events is the moment is the thing that's happening now that we are in as a country and really as a in, in the, around the world but as we are looking at the murders and and there are conversations about police and there's black lives matter and as this is all happening, is this a big lasting moment of change or is this the big 2020 news story and <laughs> we just like what right. how are you reconciling what this is?
1: OK, so from where I sit in my little space <laughs> and witnessing what's happening in my sphere of influence, it's definitely the beginning of work. Because people think that, you know, we've been doing this work all along. And yeah, like to a degree, some people have. But collectively, this is the beginning of a collective work. And again, in my opinion, and in, I'm speaking from my little space here um, North of Charlotte, and seeing all that is happening around me and in my children's school and in my family, the businesses who have reached out to me, the companies, and I am seeing people put things in place. Like they are being active. But what I don't think people should maybe falsely believe is this is it. Like this is the moment. I think this is just, this is the beginning. And I've been doing this work for a long time and I, I know the difference between someone at the beginning of a journey versus like a massive shift, and so I, all of the things I'm witnessing and I've had privy to, says this is the beginning of a massive shift, but it's only beginning. This isn't the shift, so it's kind of both. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, right. It's
1: the beginning, but don't don't think this is it. (laughs) This this is not the
0: this isn't the race. This is the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah.
1: This is the beginning. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is indeed the beginning. My deep thanks to Dr. Barry, her work and her willingness to share just her really helpful insight and perspective. For more on all of the things that Dr. Barry is doing, head to brownistcity.com. That's brown, I-C-I-T-Y dot com. Again, if you have a moment, please rate and review The New Activist on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Your five stars and encouraging words are incredibly helpful. And also, if you ever have ideas for future guests, we read every comment. We just got a great one from Gina Casey. Maybe it's Gina Cassie. I'm sorry. Either way, Gina wrote, this podcast serves as a learning tool to broaden insights on what individuals are doing in the world to make it or leave it a better place. And She continues on to say some very nice things. And ends by saying, and this makes the listener hopeful and motivated to do instead of complaining and pouting. Well, I appreciate that. I do hope that we are all motivated to get out there and do some things. Sometimes complaining is okay, but I am grateful that Gina, you, and others are motivated to act. The conversation that has started here today will continue over on the New Activist social media. All of those have the same handle. New Activist is, one word, New Activist is. And a big thank you to Propaganda, who scored today's episode. His music, merchandise, coffee, merch, everything can be found at PropHipHop.com. And he is on Twitter, PropHipHop. Definitely follow him. He has a ton of great, real-time breaking insights on the world. Today's show was produced by Christina Gore, hosted and edited by me, with additional editing by Chad Michael Snavely. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of Dr. Lucretia Berry, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am Eddie Kaufholz. Take care, friends.